You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, a podcast hosted by me, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps online course creator, consultant, and a Docker captain. This podcast contains clips from my weekly YouTube live show, where I host a real-time Ask Me Anything style chat with guests and anyone who shows up on YouTube chat, many of whom are students of my Docker courses. You can find out more information, including show notes for this episode at brettfisher.com slash podcast. That's B-R-E-T-F-I-S-H-E-R dot com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. In this special episode, I chat with Laura Taco from CloudBees and Marcos Lilladal from Unigo about the upcoming Docker engine release and a bunch of other topics from our live audience during the show. We had a lot of fun with this one, and I hope you enjoy it. With me today, we're going to introduce the amazing Laura Taco down at the bottom. And you might know her as Laura Frank if you've seen her in conferences before or on the internet. She works with CloudBees on all things CICD. So if you've got continuous integration testing questions, anything related to CICD or automation of pushing your code into servers, she is definitely the person to ask. And she is the VP of Engineering at CloudBees, which actually, is that right? I'm the, you can the give me that engineering. I'm just the director. <laughs> I got you a promotion. You know, Brett. I hope my I hope my boss is watching. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you should be the VP of engineering, and uh, but for now, you're the director, which is awesome. And I'm very proud of watching your uh, your career over there and watching all the success you've had there. She is the OG Ducker captain, one of the original captains from the first cohort back in twenty. 2015. 2015. Barcelona 2015, remember? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a while ago. Uh, and mm-hmm. got started with Docker in 2013, doing really cool stuff. And she's happy to see Open Source Summit back on the agenda at DockerCon. So are we all. And she's based in Austria, not Australia, two opposite sides of the world. <laughs> Thanks for joining you- us, Laura. Yeah, happy to be here, Brett. You wouldn't be surprised, or you would be surprised how many people... I say I live in Austria, and then they ask me about kangaroos or something. <laughs> it's a real problem. <laughs> yes, you probably don't have any kangaroos there, do you? Uh, at the zoo, I think there might be some. At the zoo. <laughs> is it the, this it. is not Australia? Uh, is that, the, that should be the name of the kangaroo at your, uh, yeah, this is not, this is not Australia. Uh, also with us on the call, I want to say call because, what do you, on the live show? Like, I don't know what to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Marcus Liladal uh, from Argentina. And so we are now on three continents at this current moment, which is pretty exciting. He is, the, he is a VP of engineering. Uh, <laughs> right. how, do you, how do you say the company's name? Uh, Unigo. Unigo. Yeah. And he's also Docker captain, open source lover. You know him probably best on the internet from Play With Docker. If you've ever used Play With Docker, that he is the co-founder of that idea and basically built the, the core feature set in one night with a lot of beer at DockerCon. So if you ever yeah. want to know where cool Docker stuff comes from, it often comes from people at DockerCon <laughs> while we're at DockerCon. He is a helmsman. He is a, he is a captain of real boats where we are pretend captains on the internet. <laughs> and he's a avid wine drinker and participate participated and won two Docker Global Hackathons along with the infamous Jonathan with his projects Whaleprint and mm-hmm. CMT, which is Container Migration Tool. And he co-created Play with Docker, Play with Kubernetes, 
Nomad and Moby, Moby and some of the other open source projects and is currently in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Fred. Glad to be here to share some time with you and Laura, of course, like amazing team. And I recall the days that Laura was mentioning in Barcelona 2015, where the, it wasn't called Docker Captains at the time, wasn't it? It was like a Docker community member program or something. Yeah, I think we had community mem community leaders and then bloggers yeah. and speakers were all separate. And I have a, a distinct memory of Adam, who used to be our, our Sherpa, <laughs> coming down that big escalator with uh, the new Docker captain's hoodies and handing them out. And then that was that was our birth. That was so, it. Yeah. It's been a oh, while. Yeah, yeah that it's was... Those were good days, and we miss Adam still to this day. Uh, if, if he's around on the internet, uh, please come back. <laughs> I hope he's watching. Hi, Adam. We miss you. Yes. He's a globetrotter now and traveling all over the world. Of course, he was doing that at Docker, but um, mm -hmm. he's still still hanging out in conferences and doing all kinds of cool stuff like that. So, well, we had Jenny on the show last week, which was is now is the admirable, ad, admirable admiral mm -hmm. of the captains. Uh, mm -hmm. She takes care of us just as good as he did. So we're very glad to have her and everyone else at Docker that takes care of the community. Um, all right, so let's talk. Uh, we talked a whole lot last week about DockerCon. We won't necessarily talk about it as much this week, so let's just get some of those DockerCon things out of the way. First up, we have a coupon. If you haven't signed up for Docker and you, DockerCon and you've been thinking about DockerCon, and it's, a, it's only three weeks away, so it's, you don't have much time left, but if you're thinking, uh, there is now a YouTube coupon. Just a, use the coupon code YouTube or the promo code or discount code or whatever it's called. And I, it gets you at least 20% off, I think. I'm not sure the exact percentage. But it gets you a lot. So you should try that out. Um, and that's for being here on the show. Uh, that coupon is nowhere else. Uh, what else we got? We got DockerCon. We're all doing stuff at DockerCon. So Laura, what are you, what are you presenting this year? Are you doing multiple things? What's going on? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess in addition to being some of the most photographed people at the keynotes, <laughs> along with you, Brett, which I'm seeing all these photos of the two of us, like looking like dorks at the keynote, um, yes. I'll be doing that. I'm also giving a talk on, I believe, Tuesday in the afternoon around 4.30. I would have to actually double check um, on building your development pipeline. And I'm giving this talk with Ali, who is an engineer um, at Docker, and we're going to talk about everything CI, CD, and Docker together. So not necessarily just deploying your application that's using containers, but also using Docker as part of your pipeline. So um, how can you build images in your pipeline? Do you have to mount the Docker socket? Do you need to give privileged um, access? You don't have to do either. Come to our talk to find out. <laughs> um, we'll also talk about um, kind of balancing serverless techniques and then having long running masters, for example, if you're using Jenkins. And we'll have a couple of cool demos on Windows and on Linux. And then otherwise, I'm going to be just hanging out, maybe doing some hallway tracks. Looking forward to meeting uh, lots of new folks. Yeah, hallway tracks. We talked a lot about that last week. Um, basically, one of the best features of DockerCon, where you can make up your own topic and then meet with other people in a nice, comfortable area with great seating and snacks and people to help you and uh yeah it's really cool and it's it's like birds of a feather but even less work mm -hmm. for the people that are organizing because you just have to have the topic <laughs> all right marcos what yes. are you doing at DockerCon besides running the show for all the workshops single-handedly 
Oh, yeah, that's going to be tough, Brett. So, yeah, basically, uh, if any of you have attended to previous DockerCons, either Europe or San Francisco, uh, and if you actually like uh, went through hands-on labs or workshops, uh, now it's good to know that those are mainly powered uh, aside the fact that some people prefer to run on AWS, which I'm not going to mention. Um, but yeah, but mostly all of the workshops are running under Play With Docker infrastructure, which is pretty cool. I mean, the fact that uh, a hacky project came out uh, of the community, then it became popular, and now Docker decided that it's a nice way to you know, teach people and to provide infrastructure for, for attendees to actually run their content on. So basically, I go there and I make sure that everything runs smoothly. Yeah, you don't run into any issues because, you know, like provisioning several hundreds of VMs like on demand for a conference party is not easy. Maybe that's a tale for a, for a talk or something. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be mostly there. And of course, like sharing my knowledge and learning new stuff. Looking forward to like uh, getting involved into CNAB, uh, cool things that are going out of 1903 beta or release candidate. And, and as Laura said, you know, uh, chatting with people, like making contacts and learning new things all the way. Right. Yeah, just a few things. <laughs> In case you didn't know, so play with Docker. Uh, it's play-with-docker.com. If you haven't been there, um, I don't know what you've been doing all these years, but <laughs> it is the, one of the main places you can interactively do real Docker stuff on the internet in your browser without having to have it locally installed. And it's a great place to get some free training. Uh, basically, I think if you is it still listed on Docker's website, if you go to Docker and training, like yeah. play with Docker still mm -hmm. in there. The lab yeah. site, yeah. Yeah, so uh -huh. it's, a, it's essentially officially supported by Docker. <laughs> and Marcos single-handedly runs that nowadays. And uh, all the improvements, that's him in the background. And a lot of that is open source, I believe. You still got that um, on GitHub. Yep. A lot of that technology is there. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty great. And we since then, we've actually seen uh, different things show up on the internet that are similar to that, that have their own interface for messing with containers. But... Uh, Play with Docker was one of the first, if not the first, out there, and it was—it's. I mean, the story of just how the idea was sort of created at DockerCon. And you're like, well, let's just stay up all night and do this. Of course, I'm sure the plan was not to stay up all night. <laughs> yeah. But you did anyway. And at DockerCon every year, uh, except for maybe once or twice, they have this thing. Uh, it's called Moby Hacks, which is essentially a world. Anyone who goes to DockerCon, I mean, it don't even have to go to DockerCon, right? Because you can you actually submit it before DockerCon to see if yeah. you win, and then you could go to DockerCon to get the award. But it was essentially do something with containers, Docker usually, right? That is interesting or unique or new. You might be trying to blow up uh, meteors in space. You might be trying to update the operating system software on a quadcopter while it's flying in the middle of the crowd. Like you might do something like that, uh, and then you would win this award and get to be on stage and show your hack at the end of the, the conference. And it's really cool because it, um, at first it was like single person hacks, but nowadays it's like teams. Competitive you know? hacking. Yeah. Right. NASA like shows up on the scene or Google or somebody and you're like, well, you know, I'm not sure I can compete with that, but uh, <laughs> certainly over the years, I think they've upped the ante of that award. Um, didn't you get like a tail, like a metal tail that you put on like a Moby tail you put on the shelf. Did you get that award Mark? I didn't get that one. You didn't get that one. I remember one I year they were handing out awards. I think that was that was in Texas yeah. or. <laughs> um, sorry, 
Oh yeah, I think it was too early stages for that price. So too bad. I guess I have to compete again. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You have to just get a third. You know, uh, triple triple award winner. Yeah. You can go for that. That's a good challenge. Yeah, I remember I was a, a panel like a judge for the Moby's Cool Hacks for the year that you submitted whale print. Of course, it was like anonymized from us, so we couldn't see. But I was like, oh, this thing is so cool. Um, and then I was like, oh, it's Marcos, great. <laughs> <laughs> Did, That's nice. you, yeah, you weren't you weren't picking your friends for sure. Um, and if yeah. you haven't tried whale print, um, it's it's still around, right? Yeah, it's around, but it's outdated. It, it was mm -hmm. uh, the time when uh, Docker was using uh, DAB files. DABs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, DAB files. So we haven't yeah, we haven't migrated to Compose yet, but uh, it's a uh, it's something that is it's still it hasn't been built in to Docker Swarm yet. So maybe it's a good idea to include it as a Docker plugin or something. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be an, that'd be an interesting PR. I'm sure that the community would love that. And so if you didn't know what Whaleprint was, uh, it one of the things it does several things, but one of the things it can do is it works with Swarm and it, it allows you to basically do an export. Maybe let me know if I'm not getting this right. It does an export of all of your services, basically everything that you've configured uh, in your Swarm, it pulls that out as DAB files and allows you to basically import that into another Swarm and then it, you could almost have sort of like a backup and restore of your configurations, is that right? That's one part, which is pretty nice, but the core idea behind the project is the fact that you can actually compare the state of your current Swarm, which is actually running and might have had modifications because some process actually scaled it up or deployed a new version with the current files or compose files or DAP files that you had previously that define your infrastructure. So uh, basically you could say, hey, I want to apply these files into my or these stacks into my current Swarm, which are going to be the changes that are, are actually going to go through. Like, is it like these images are going to be updated? This service is going to scale up or down in X amount of replicas? So it gives you like visibility of, of, of what will happen when you apply some stacks in your form, basically. Right. I have the, uh, pull the repo up so people could see it. Yeah. It's kind of, Marcos, like it's sort of like a git diff. Um, Correct. For, mm -hmm. for your cluster state. Right. So we actually took the idea from Nomad, which is the orchestrator of HashiCorp. Uh, it actually has... Uh, or we actually took it from Terraform. If some of you have used Terraform in the past, which I believe pretty much everyone uses it now. So you can do like Terraform plan and we'll give you an execution plan of what the, how your infra infrastructure is going to be changed. Well, this is the same concept applied to Swarm basically. Right. And uh, this was actually pre-Stacks, right? This is before Swarm had Stacks? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is yeah. that part, yeah. Yeah, that's how long ago this was. Mm -hmm. um, and so Stacks... Keep hitting that button. Um, Stacks had, uh, I'm looking in here. Stacks kind of, because when Stacks came out, we had the Compose feature built into Stacks, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Or was, was when the first version of Stacks dab, I think the first version of Stacks was dab? I can't remember. Uh, first version of Stacks was, was dab, yeah. I think it was dab, yeah. And then, mm -hmm. and then they added in Compose later. So yeah, it would make sense for this to do Compose. But yeah. uh, essentially, I think, from my point of view, the community didn't really rally around this idea Right, like I mean, some people liked it, but we didn't get a huge amount of support, so um, mm -hmm. it didn't it didn't get community support in a way that was necessary. Because obviously, a lot of us like will create ideas on GitHub, open source them, and then if it kind of 
the community doesn't come in and rally around it, it's kind of hard for one person to keep something going when there's no really, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people using it or, or helping out. So that's, that's sort of the nature of an open source. Um, mm-hmm. only, the, only the necessary and, and used ideas get a lot of love usually. Um, so cool. Well, I hope uh, there's a future use for it or if Docker would be willing to take something and add in it. I think a lot of us would really like that uh, dry run feature set in Swarm to know what's going to change, especially I think with stack files because stack files can get so, you can put a lot in there and there can be a lot going on. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I've lost count of how many times on Stack Overflow or Docker forums, I've, someone's asked, why did all my, why when I de- redeployed my stack file, did all of my services redeploy, right? <laughs> and they, yeah, that's hard. and in the past we've had bugs, which I, are, to my knowledge, they're all fixed at this point, but there have been co- times where services did update when they weren't necessarily needing to be updated. Uh, there are some things in Swarm services that you can change like labels without technically needing to redeploy the container. And that's a little iffy on whether or not you change something that requires a redeployment. So it would, it would be really cool to have that built in, and I, I liked it when you when you first deployed it. I was I was kind of hoping that it would get uh, support because it was immediately the kind of thing that I could give to my customers that needed. They had DevOps mindsets around I want to see the change before I do the change, right? And I, I feel like the best we have at this point is that you just have two clusters, <laughs> and you you do it you test do it on the test cluster, and hopefully that'll be exactly what you do in the production clusters. Mm, that's correct. What I believe is happening is that uh, whenever uh, and you can tell me your experience of this, but what I see from ops teams is the fact that whenever they need to deploy something, they just push it to production and then see what happens, right? So it could be either that the cluster is running out of resources, so they will have to scale it up. But it's funny because they do that once they actually apply the change. So they actually don't go don't go through the process of saying, okay, what this is going to do to my infrastructure, how how this is going to affect my applications, pretty much everyone assumes what's going to happen. And that's uh, interesting, actually, to, to know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a little, it's a little scary. Of course, if you have full automated CI/CD, then like, you're just doing that anyway. Like, <laughs> you're, roll, you're rolling it out regardless, but um, uh, most yeah, but of us are not there. There's checks in, in place, though. Yeah. It's like you're not just kind of SSHing into some machine or, or have a... Um, your CLI pointing at your remote cluster and making changes there, it like goes through um, like the automation and checks. But I think it's, you know, becoming more common. Um, and I think the, the folks at Honeycomb have a lot of, of interesting writing about this, about like testing in production and how that's valid because really only production is production. Mm-hmm. So it's just about like, you know, what's the responsibility of each of these steps and is it risky? Can you minimize risk? Um, if you do just like push a change to production, scale up, scale down. Um, so I love, I love whale print. I would love to see it make a comeback. Um, I think whale print idea was great. It was just like the dab dab format never really caught on. So yeah. mm-hmm. it was kind of yeah. dead on arrival. I think it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was yet another format yeah, another, and file. Yeah. yeah. That we were like, okay, this is cool. But I, I, you know, if maybe if Swarm, you know, if millions of people were using Swarm and this was desperately needed, but uh, yeah, um, I don't know if actually like there's something similar in the Kubernetes space. Also, I don't think so. I haven't seen any of that on the on uh, like a dry run. There is a dry run on Kubernetes, but there's not a diff of uh, what's in the cluster and uh, what's in your oh. manifest files or something. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Although there are, quite frankly, there's so many tools in Kubernetes now. I 
Yeah. I don't, even, I don't even pretend to think that I could even, I just have to Google it because I can't, I can't, even the lists of tools are not complete lists. So like, you know, you go to CNCF landscape and it's still not everything. I mean, it's just, yeah. So it looks like kubectl diff was promoted to beta in 1.13. I don't know. I've actually never heard of that before. So I don't know if that is um, exactly what we're talking about here. Cause that's associated with dry run. Um, nice. Yeah. Cool. That would be pretty sweet. Um, yeah. Yeah. Div kubectl or kubectl diff does exactly what you want by showing the differences before the current live and the new dry run. Um, it there makes it convenient to focus only on the changes that are made to the object. So I think that's, that's the answer. That qualifies. That qualifies. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. you said a while ago, like, uh, yeah, production is only, only thing production is production. Like, mm -hmm. we have essentially been spending the last 10 years, I feel like, and a majority of the work in, in the DevOps and ops space is just to get everything else to be closer to production. We're never really there, but like containers, that was one of the main goals of containers. Mm -hmm. The the not on my uh, works on my machine you know scenario the the having a CI CD system that can um, spin up clusters and test changes and actually validate those changes uh, you know that all of this stuff is just so that we can simply feel like we truly tested in production without actually touching production I feel like mm -hmm. really at the end of the day it's it's only as good as your rollback like you, you <laughs> oh. can. absolutely that like MTTR metric the mean time to recover. That is key and understanding if you do something damaging, how long does it take you to get back to the last state that was not, um, not bad or, you know, having thresholds in place of like how much data can you lose and making sure that things are really safe to play around. Yeah. We have been spending the last 10 years of trying to make everything like production and ignoring the fact that production's right there. So let's just make it safer um, to play right. in production, just a di right. different, different way of achieving the same thing. Yeah, so me proper metrics in production and know if it went well and then easy ways to roll back in case it doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's often, I think, the last thing in small teams and individual DevOps staff, that the, the, that's the last thing that we do. We, we usually don't focus on the rollback or the disaster recovery scenarios until things actually happen wrong and then, th then they finally give us the budget to actually go and spend time to work on that instead of just trying to get code into production. Um, I've been in enough shops where, you know, the first thing that gets cut, I always used to talk about IT projects is the first thing that gets cut is documentation. And the second thing that gets test, uh, uh, cut from a project due to timing or money is testing rollback or disaster recovery, like actually validating those things. Um, yeah. Governments. That's a really bad thing in government. <laughs> you get, you get, you define the project, and then you go find the money. Then you run out of money, and you ha you have to cut stuff out of the project. That's why a lot of mainframes, by the way, are still around, is because the project to get rid of them got far enough to build the new fancy front end. But then the 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 part that got cut from the project often is to migrate the old data into the new systems, so they keep the old systems around for the legacy data. And so mm -hmm. many times, uh, working in local governments and federal governments, I kept finding that. That old system's still around because they ran out of money to get the old data out. So they just kept it around. Paid the millions of dollars. So, uh, Laura, what, what's going on at uh, CloudBees over there? Like, uh, now that I gave you the promotion. Um, yeah, now that I've been promoted to VP, Brett, what's, uh, what's my vision? Um, yeah, what's not going on? We've had a lot of changes, um, really positive changes at CloudBees in the, in the past year. Um, 
So I think CloudBees is often still known as like the enterprise Jenkins company. And that's something that we've embraced in the past. And Jenkins is definitely still a really important part of um, CICD and the CloudBees story. But we've really broadened our horizons in the last nine months. And um, I'm working on still CodeShip. So I was with CodeShip before CloudBees acquired us. And now we're sort of one big happy um, B family. And then um, I'm also working on Jenkins X, which is really exciting. So um, Jenkins X is kind of a developer experience that helps you bootstrap um, Kubernetes applications and get you running on Kubernetes with a developer experience and then automating all the pipelines and stuff to help you get um, just up and running more easily. Because um, Kubernetes, is, as we've just talked about, there's so much stuff in there. There's lots of knobs lots of lovers. So we try to give you like a, a streamlined approach. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for some big, exciting stuff over the next um, six, six, 12 months. We should have some, some really cool stuff coming out to make developers lives easier. Um, yeah. Jenkins X is pretty exciting. Uh, that was, I thought, I thought when it was announced, it was kind of uh, an unexpected risky thing to say, Hey, we're going to start over. We're going to try this new thing. Yeah. And, you know, kind of the point that you brought up before about open source software in general um, and how, like, you know, Marcos had WhalePrint. It's an awesome project. But for one reason or another, I think the DAB format, it just like it didn't catch enough steam. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely a risk with Jenkins X. So um, kind of the, the approach was like Jenkins is great. It is like the workhorse powering so much software um, or the delivery of so much software. But often, you know, if you go to DockerCon and you talk to someone, their opinion about Jenkins is not going to be like, oh my God, it's so cool. <laughs> um, they're going to probably roll their eyes and say like, oh, Jenkins. So we thought like, what can we do to fix that? Or what can we do to sort of turn, turn the project around? And I think it's just it's a 10 year old, 10 plus year old project. So we thought, hmm, what if we just started with the idea, the problem of what Jenkins is trying to solve and kind of see what we would do now with modern tools? Like what would that look like? And that's sort of what Jenkins X turned into. Um, right. So, yeah, I think it was awesome and brave to say, because what is it? The innovator's dilemma. Uh, that's, a, that's, I think, the terminology we use for you created something that's it's become the synonymous with the name of the company. You know, more people probably know the name Jenkins than they, than they know the company CloudBees behind it. And yeah. then to take that and say, this is so important to us, we're going to sort of reboot and rethink in a sort of a interesting way how this might work now that we have things like containers and orchestration in the cloud that we didn't have when we created this first concept. So many companies wouldn't do that. You, t you look at examples of like how long it took for... Microsoft to actually get an online usable version of Office. You know, it took competitors to show them how to do it before they actually did it themselves. Mostly, I mean, the theory was is because they had a billion dollar business. They didn't want to hurt that revenue of that cash cow. And we call that mm -hmm. innovator's dilemma in the startup and business world. Mm -hmm. and, it's yeah, cool, and it's cool and you did that. Yeah, right now, the, the struggle is like, you know, in a lot of cases, you, you mentioned like working a lot in government. It's often that uh, a project makes a choice to use Jenkins or to use CodeShip or to use Circle or something, and that doesn't really change. You get it set up, and then that's kind of what sticks with it. So we have a lot of customers that are, they maybe set up their um, software delivery pipeline six years ago, 
with Jenkins and it really hasn't evolved much. Right. So we're kind of in this spot right now where we're in a position to really help those, um, those types of customers, those types of users modernize their infrastructure, but we need to show them and kind of guide them along that path. Um, and that's where Jenkins X kind of does some proof of concept stuff and can show them what the, what the future can look like. And it makes that migration process or that transition a little bit easier because you have something to look at at the end. Yeah. I mean, and that's the case of so much of the plumbing, right? Of the systems that the operating systems, I mean, you know, people still get excited about Linux, but it's not like, you know, you install a Linux server for the 100,000th time in your data center and say, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's so great. I love this operating system. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we, we get a lot of these tools and that's why I think like there will be a day when Kubernetes is boring and orchestration mm-hmm. is boring and containers are boring and um, and that's what it has to happen, right? We have to get there in order to go to the next, whatever the next uh, abstraction layer yeah. is of our, of our software. Mm-hmm. So great. Uh, unfortunately, so we're going to have to have you on again and get a demo of Jenkins X because I get a lot of questions about it. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. and a lot, of stu- a lot of students ask about which one should I use? There's all these different options. There's Jenkins, there's CodeShift, there's Jenkins X, there's you know all these other CI CD tools out there. How do I know which one to use? And just like orchestration, it always depends. Depends. It depends. It depends. Yeah. It's a consulting answer. Yeah. Um, yeah so definitely. Um, well, thanks for that, Marcos. Are you? What is osquery.io? Oh, that's a, an interesting project that I came up with recently. I mean, actually, someone told me about it. It's not that I discovered it. So, it's some sort of um, agent uh, developed by Facebook. It's pretty big, though that you can run your cloud VMs basically on your servers. And then it gives you like an SQL interface on top of that where you can actually query everything that's running in there. So you can say, for example, select star from hostname uh, where, I don't know, name equals something. And it will give you like information about the underlying system. You can query like IO, networking processes, the profile system of, of the machine. You can query even if you have a Docker daemon running, you can query the containers that are running on your machine. So it's like, a, it's pretty cool. It's like a big query, but, but for infrastructure, basically. Yeah. And what does it, does it mean? I guess there's a daemon running on each host? Yeah, there's a daemon running on each host. And something that I would love to see, which is not happening right now, is to be able to deploy it as a, you know, daemon sets on Kubernetes or Swarm services, like a, one service per machine, and uh, to automatically have this server like you know being discoverable for you. I mean, it's pretty powerful the fact that you can actually run a query and get insights immediately of all the infrastructure that your system has. You can query the disk space, you can query the memory available, the CPU available, and you can have like nice dashboards and stuff, which is pretty cool. Oh, that's nice. I yeah, mean, uh, how is this different than like? Um... Uh, like SaltStack or other uh, infrastructure tools allow you to query and get information in bulk. How does how is it? Is it just because it is it not for command and control? It's only really for reporting and and monitoring and stats and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's more oriented to like getting specific insights about what's happening in your system, which are not you're not going to get from like a, a typical monitoring tool. Let's say that you have like either Datadog or New Relic or some as a service monitoring solution in your data center. And for some reason, you get alerts because uh, something's not going right, like the CPU of a, of a specific system is like spiking or something is not running properly. 
So with this, you can actually get a, like a, a very specific and a directed overview of your whole cluster like right away, instead of you know having to go to the SSH into the machine and to actually know the commands that you need to run to get that information, right? So let's say that you want to measure CPU and memory, you have to you know understand about the uh, top or the profile system or to get like the right data uh, or know the tooling that's underneath that, that system to get the information. But with right. this uh, with this uh, system, you can actually like query it as a, as a, any relational database using SQL, and you get the information right away. It's okay. pretty powerful, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to check it out. I like infrastructure tooling. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically my life. <laughs> um, well, cool. Well, so we've got lots of other stuff to talk about, but I know there's some people in chat that have been uh, anxiously waiting to discuss their topic. So if either one of you is in the YouTube uh, and you want to cherry pick any questions out, feel free. I'm going to actually scroll through on my channel and see what a uh, question there. I have a question for Laura, if we have some time, Brett. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh -oh. so Laura, Laura um, <laughs> you know that... Well, my cell phone and I believe other people have been looking at like BuildKit lately from mm -hmm. basically Docker or I don't know if it's part of the um, CNCF now. BuildKit, no, but it's a, a Mobi project. Mobi, okay. Yeah. So, how are CI pipelines in general adapting to that to that new tool or that new way of, of building stuff? Right? Are, are all the the tools out there like implementing this this new way of building images or uh, what's happening yeah. in, that, in that area? Um, that's a great question. I like, I love BuildKit. Um, CodeShip right now does not use BuildKit, but I could definitely imagine us using something um, other than just Docker to build images. So what I've seen mostly is not necessarily embracing those lower level tools um, because ultimately a CI CD service is a, CI CD service and not necessarily uh, image building service. Mm -hmm. So there's some like pragmatism that comes in there. Like if we're gonna, if we have a hundred development dollars to spend, can we get um, image building for $1 with just Docker or get it for $10 using BuildKit? Um, mm -hmm. I think that's probably the reason we don't see it more. Um, but what I have seen a lot of is using Kamiko to do um, to do image building, especially within Kubernetes, because nice. you can build images on your cluster without having to mount the Docker socket or use Docker directly. So that's one big change that I'm seeing. And in fact, um, Jenkins X is, um, you can have a, a flag so that you're using Kanako with, um, with Google Cloud and Google Container Registry. So definitely some innovation happening in the image building space, which is really nice to see because we saw a lot of changes happening in the orchestration space. Um, and images, Docker files have always been something that Docker pretty much had monopoly over, um, for yeah. better, for worse. Um, I think there's a reason that this is one of the last things to start being, um, changed. But I think, you know, if we ask the same question next year, I'll probably have a much different answer, but <laughs> build kit's super cool. I'm talking about it in our pipeline talk. So, um, nice. here at DockerCon, we'll, we'll mention it and go over some of the, the impact that it can have on your, on your pipeline if you want to kind of roll it yourself. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's hard not to talk about BuildKit once you've played around with it and, and used it. It's, uh, it's now like 
it's hard for me to talk more than five minutes on Docker and not mention BuildKit at this point. Yeah. Because every, I mean, it it affects everyone. Like if you have ever built an image, it will affect you at some point, whether, you know, because it's not on by default yet, but it will be someday probably. And we've got obviously other tools in the industry. We've got Builda and all sorts of other stuff. And they're all sort of synergizing around this idea of creating a flexible sort of lessons learned right from the past. And I really, um, but there, yeah, the, the savings in space, the speed, the, all the, the synchronous at, at things of, I mean, once I saw Gareth at maybe it was O'Reilly Velocity Conference in London, mm-hmm. um, Gareth uh, Rushgrove, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, formerly of Docker was heading up their some of their uh, developer tooling, and he gave a talk, basically all about, mostly about image building, and he started showing off, um, using this really fancy multi-stage build with build kits, uh, integration and feature set, and then using um, just a build script like. Um, standard Linux building tools and then or a make script rather. Uh and he had this tool that was like uh way more than what I would ever think a container building tool would do. And it, and his files were very small, very minimal, no repeating of lines, and it was just it was amazing. I I have that talk somewhere. I'll have to find that while we're while we're talking, taking questions <laughs> and show off that those slides and get people to link to that slide. Cause that was um if you're interested in sort of the evolution of where Docker images are going or just container images in general, I think uh, there's some people out there like Gareth that are uh, sort of forward thinking on how how we can use this to automate even more of our software and make it even more like a CI CD system a little bit. So mm-hmm. I saw someone in the chat asked a question about um, these image building enhancements for Windows and whether that's that's available. So Canico right now doesn't work on Windows, unfortunately. Um, but BuildKit, I believe does have Windows support, or at least like the the build CTL command line does. Do you know, Brett? Because I'm like super not a Windows person, and I don't mean that to disrespect Windows. I just live in a very nice, tidy um, <laughs> Linux world. <laughs> uh, so yeah, BuildKit is not working on Windows yet, but that is a coming feature. In fact, I think that was the, one of the goals was BuildKit working on Windows for 1903 release. Awesome. Yeah. And there, because there's other things, right? BuildKit, that's the reason that BuildKit isn't default out of the box yet. It doesn't yet work with Docker Compose, which that is also in a PR state right now. They have to update, I think, the, the, uh, the Compose Pi library or whatever. That one's called, I can never remember the name of it. The, li- the library for Compose has to be updated to use BuildKit. Um, and then there's some other edge case stuff where it doesn't work in certain scenarios. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember all of them. I had a list at some point. But yeah, Windows was a big one, missing Windows. And obviously, Docker being very multi-platform, they mm-hmm. when, when, before they make it that default builder, they wanted it on Windows. And we'll probably, I don't know if that 1903 meant that it was going to still be experimental on Windows. Not experimental, I guess non-default on Windows as well as Linux. Because I, or they're going to like make it the default on Linux, but not on Windows. I, would, I wouldn't think they'd do that. Of course, we don't really know because none of us mm-hmm. really have insider information. But mm-hmm. I would think that they'd want to wait until BuildKit was feature comparity across those two major OSs before they made it the default builder. Cause that's a pretty risky thing, right? For them to um, suddenly change the entire underlying libraries that build images. Uh, they definitely, I mean, they've been building it for years. I remember, what was it? Maybe it was back when we were in 
Texas uh, that we first heard of it at an open source summit. It was mm-hmm. that, you know, multiple years ago. So they've been working on this for quite some time. So it's pretty stable, but yeah, windows is coming. Yeah. Yeah. The, and there's, um, tying us back to DockerCon at the open source summit, there is a whole build kit. Um, I think like an hour long session. So mm-hmm. I'm super curious to see what, if any new things are announced related to build kit and just got an update on, uh, on the project. Yeah. Um, in fact, if you're going to DockerCon, you can find that open source summit agenda on the DockerCon website. There's down at the bottom, there's open source summit and it's the last day, it's Thursday. So if you're going to DockerCon, the last day is typically the sessions that were voted the top sessions um, get repeated. Hopefully Laura and I will be repeating our sessions mm-hmm. because we'll be top 10 or top 16 or whatever it is. <laughs> no top competition. Two, but top two. Top two. Um, regain my title. Uh, then the agenda shows you this. I just clicked on the wrong button. This open source summit on, on the afternoon of that day, after we've repeated the same sessions that are the top sessions, there's all this open. So basically this idea is prior. We used to use it as Mobi summits, but that it's all Docker's open source tooling. That's under underneath the Docker that we all know and love. Um, and my most exciting one was all the way down here near the bottom is SwarmKit. Mm-hmm. SwarmKit is finally back, uh, getting nice. its own dedicated talk from Docker. And and it's um, it's from Drew, one of the original. He's been around on SwarmKit for years, working on SwarmKit. And you'll notice some of the upcoming features they mentioned, they tease us. Server-side stacks, which we know is coming because they released some open source a couple mo- a month or so ago. Cron job Cron support. Cron job support. <laughs> and yeah, finally. CSI. <laughs> oh, man. What uh the the last Docker Captain Summit? I swear we s- probably spent two hours complaining <laughs> about the lack of cron job support in Swarm, and it mm-hmm. was enough. We, it was we got enough. Our wish. Yeah. I think after three yeah. yeah after three Docker cons of us ranting uh, and, yeah. and customers obviously ranting and saying we would love more features in Swarm, please keep adding. Uh, I think they finally heard us and uh, put put some more effort into it. Um, which is always great. Obviously, they've got priorities, you know, money talks. So they're going to listen to their customers that are paying for yeah. products first, I imagine. A lot of us don't <laughs> use their source. Before they listen to us. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so to set the scene you, up, bro. for those of you that weren't there, basically the captains get a, an hour or so with all the executives of Docker and we get mm-hmm. to ask questions. And instead of, I mean, obviously, great, lots of great answer, questions were asked, lots of great answers. For multiple Docker cons now, the, the conversation ends up shifting to Swarm, and when are they going to add this and that and this and that? And uh, I'm sure that you know they would much rather talk about that. You know, we monopolize the conversation a little bit for around orchestration because um, in the past, you know, we've they've solved a lot of problems, and so this is still an area where there needs to be more uh, added to the solution. So it, you know, granted the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and we. Mm-hmm. We talked it up, and so here we are. Not that we're taking credit, but, you know, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. We're just all very excited. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. I'm very excited, especially the I fact that, that these are also birds of a feather session, so we'll be able to have conversations. If you're there, you can hang out, and we all get to talk. The last time we did that was when, when we were in Austin a couple of years ago, and that was fantastic because you got to sit around with the core engineers of whatever the topic was, you know, build kit, in the engine itself, Swarm kit, mm-hmm. you name it. Um, and we got to hang out with those engineers and whiteboard ideas, uh, kind of give our feedback. It was it was a fantastic time. And I wish it would have lasted, you know, a whole day. I think it was like a half a day or something. But um, 
yeah, so it's back. Yay. Yay. Thanks for Docker. Like, thanks to Docker for listening to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. All right, so yeah. I wanted to mention, by the way, this is the, uh, the, the Garris. Um, I put this in chat. So if you're in chat, uh, the advanced Docker image build patterns. And he has this great deck. Of course, the talk would be better, but they didn't uh, make that public. And he basically went on Twitter and said, what are your biggest problems um, with building? And then all these people, let's see if I can find that. Yeah. So people started giving him the, the ways they use Docker uh, back in tweets. And then he went and basically would give you examples of how he optimized their, you know, their, or fixed their problem or optimized their setup. So it's a pretty good slide deck. And uh, he has, along with it, a repo, uh, any great talk has a great open source repo with it, and he has a, a repo that shows those examples, including make files and multi-stage Docker files and all that. So nice. One thing I can recommend. Um, so maybe you're not at the super elite level um, of some of the things that are in Garrett's talk, but there is a Docker file best practices talk on Tuesday, the 30th from 2 to 2.40 from Tibor and Sebastian, who are both from Docker. And it is an amazing talk just about sort of like, not just 101 fundamentals, um, also some stuff that's like a bit more intermediate advanced, but just uh, a really good summary of knowledge from, in my opinion, two of the most knowledgeable people at Docker. Um, Sebastian is, I have no idea how he manages to keep an index of every single pull request that has ever been open in his mind. But if you have any question about anything, he's the right person to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sum of all of their knowledge is in that talk, and it is um, truly fantastic. They gave it in Barcelona, and I would recommend would recommend it to everyone, um, even if you've been using Docker for years. Yeah. It's always nice to get the people that made the software to talk about the software, because they always have some deep-level awareness, and they make some off-comment. You're like, what? wait, wait, what? And that just changed your worldview of that product when they just make a comment. Do you have any uh, questions in, from the chat that you all would like to uh, address? Mm, I don't see anyone. Hi, Ashlyn. I, I have a question for you, Brad, though. I see Lee. Captain Lee. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, have you heard or maybe uh, discussed with someone at Docker regarding Swarm and a GitOps pattern? pattern? Um, I have not. Why, you got something? Um, I was just thinking of, I mean, like, I know that there's a, like a popular tendency now, which is like, have everything versioned in GitHub or Git, and then make your orchestrator actually grab your infrastructure or your application configuration from a Git repo or somewhere else, and then apply it like to your cluster, more like a, like a pull approach instead of a push, like right. not having a CI CD systems actually talk to your cluster basically because there are some security concerns and stuff. And I was wondering, I know that there, there, there are a lot, there's a lot, a lot of tooling in the Kubernetes ecosystem, but I don't know if there's actually some something out there for Swarm. Well, there's a couple of things that, uh, let me see if I can find this. Um, so I think a couple of things, a couple of thoughts rather. Uh, the first one was I, even though SSH sometimes can be the cl- a kludgy way to do it, um, the fact that we now have um, 
the Docker CLI is able to SSH in straight from that. I've been shifting, you know, anyone who had like a pipeline in their CI solution that was going to take a webhook and then SSH into the servers and then run SSH commands, I have them. I, I'm trying to get them to stop that and take one step back and still use SSH, but use it through the Docker command line tools. So those of you who are not aware of what I'm, we're talking about, in 8, 1809 release of Docker, there's now a new way that you can have the Docker command line client talk to a remote engine, but it can use SSH to do that instead of needing you to set up TLS certificates on your engines, which was a lot of work and a pain to manage those certificates and to properly secure them. Uh, across different servers and how and rotate them and all that stuff. Um, so now you can do that with SSH and you don't have to leave, like your CI host doesn't have to leave itself to actually do a permanent SSH command on a, make an actual connection to a server and run a bunch of tools. Because then once you start doing that, you know, piping in commands and files and stuff like that gets a little weird. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. The other is I'm, I'm hoping that Docker app will help solve some of this problem by us allowing us to ship uh, like instead of having to check out a repo with YAML for stack files, yeah. that Docker app allows us to ship these images. So maybe the CI path takes the webhook from your re- your Git repo, takes that YAML, properly stores the the YAML in an image, just like it would your code, ship that up to your repo. And then your repo does uh, essentially another webhook to your CI on a different pipeline that would then ship that image as a stack file if that makes sense so if you yeah if you haven't if anyone out there hasn't seen a couple weeks ago you can actually look back on my youtube channel a couple weeks ago we had michael Irwin on and he went through the whole docker app cnab uh setup and he talked about how taking your compose files your stack files putting those in the images with the docker app command line and then you can take those images and put them just like any other artifact in a registry like docker hub or you know any other registry because it's it's just an object in a registry it doesn't really need docker hub but docker hub now has a ui for that you can see them and then that means that like if you were deploying i don't know um wordpress blog you can now take that yaml file with the database and the websites and maybe the caching front end nginx or whatever you have in that compose file and you can ship that as its own image so that all of the value all of the stuff you need rather than having to go to github and download a repo and and all that stuff um, the, but in terms of Git ops, so I think like Docker app to me gives me another abstraction. So I don't have to clone that repo. Right. And yeah, do a, right. a pull on the, on that. And we can stick with the odd artifacts instead of the code repo in that. That's um, very nice. Yeah. There is, uh, there are several tools. And so on the other side of this, uh, there are several tools that I know of none that I would say are big and popular, but a friend of mine actually created one. That's a simple webhook watcher as a swarm service that yeah. will allow you to register webhooks and then you can tell GitHub, hey, every time there's this webhook, basically download this YAML file and then deploy it as a stack. So it, um, that's kind of GitOps, right? Yep, that's yeah. right. And uh, it, it, I like the Docker app scenario better just because I feel like the image, keeping everything in images is cleaner, but uh, if you're wanting to stick with, I mean, simpler scenarios, right? Simpler setups would use that. And I'm actually looking for that URL. Um, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I mean, it's not that it's not that complex of a solution, right? It just needs to be a, a web server running webhooks listeners, and then it runs a Docker exec against or a Docker uh, 
command against the host, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to look for it and then put it in the chat. So, um, by the way, if you're trying, I see that Daniel is in my chat and he's trying to post links. I think. Um, and links don't work. Yeah. <laughs> Long live Swarm Kit. <laughs> all right, so I approve those those links. So yeah, in case you're wondering, they're held for moderation or whatever. Um, all right, so if you don't see any questions in chat, I'm gonna check. One last time on mine. Pooja asks, we have an old server at our company and we want to dockerize our application. Our application UI is in JavaScript plus HTML backend and Java source repo WinCVS. Pretty old, I know, but we are stuck with one <laughs> one um, obfuscation tool, database, MySQL. We can set up CI for Windows and Linux platform and have images deployed in private server, and we want to run it in AWS. But how? <laughs> if you can uh, help us solve, that would be awesome. Okay, so... Okay, Brad, do you have another hour? <laughs> I mean, no, this is a great question, but I think yeah, you're course. asking a little bit much of us uh, to be able to solve that complicated setup. So um maybe if you had a very very specific question about a exact problem you're having today instead of helping us having us redesign your architecture um we can set up ci for windows analytics platforms so all this is doable um just because your apps are old i mean i'm running containers with 15 year old php apps in them like uh it's perfectly fine in fact it was so old that i think i had to build my own container of php because the php versions in docker didn't go back, I think, to the 4.x release of PHP that I needed. So mm -hmm. um, it, you know, containers themselves and CI solutions themselves don't really care as long as your software you know, can build and run on whatever operating system you need. Um, in fact, if you haven't seen any marketing from Docker, that's part of their, uh, their migration toolkit, uh, traditional MTA, migrating traditional apps program. Is Docker is all about taking your old Windows 2008 apps and getting them onto a supported architecture of modern Windows without having to change any of lines of code, including old .NET apps, .NET framework apps, and IIS apps. I, I know somebody that's running an ASP app, like a classic ASP. So we're talking pre.NET, pre-2001 app in Docker uh, on a Windows Server 2019. So that's still possible. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, what you're doing is possible. We just don't necessarily have the uh, ability to create your infrastructure there. Great question, though. Um, There's a question in the YouTube live channel. I think it's for Laura from uh, PrepJot. So it goes, uh, considering there is no Windows build tools, is it a good idea to build Windows container on Jenkins by installing Docker on it and expose the Docker daemon, or is there another way I can do this? Dun, dun, dun. Um, that is a good question that I actually, yes, I would say. I Again, I'm not a Windows expert, um, and I actually don't ever use Windows, so I'm not the best person to answer this question. Um, as far as I know, yes, you need to have the Docker daemon um, available to build images, but that's pretty standard. That's not like a, a Jenkins limitation. It's just sort of right now, aside from Canico um, and a couple other um, builder tools, 
Docker is really the solution for image building, especially on Windows, which is lagging behind Linux quite a bit. Yeah, in fact, that gets easier now that we just like the the SSH feature set that I was just talking about with the eighteen oh nine release of Docker. That will be easier in your pipeline, so that you don't have to manage TLS certificates and stuff like that. You can just use your standard SSH, but you have to make sure that you're enabling SSH on Windows, which is way easier nowadays on server. 20, uh, 2019, 2018, 2020? I'm trying to remember what the new one is. 2019. 2019. 2016, that was the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, both of those have OpenSSH uh, functionality built into the box, so you can download from Windows, or from Microsoft, actually. You don't even have to get third-party. Um, um, someone asked, I don't see a Jenkins X course on Udemy. Would a regular Jenkins course be relevant to Jenkins X? So this is an interesting question, um, and I'm just going to post something. Oh, I have too many letters. Okay, I'll fix it later. Um, so the the funny, interesting thing about Jenkins X is that there is no Jenkins in it. So it's a brand new project. So if you are going to take that course to learn about patterns for deploying your software, then I would say, yeah, totally fine. Um, you can take those patterns and use them with Jenkins or with Circle CI or with CodeShip or with whatever thing you want. If you're looking for specifically something about Jenkins X, um, I would recommend going to our quick starts and tutorials. I can actually drop a link in the chat, um, in the Docker chat as well. Um, there's a lot of quick starts and similar to play with Docker, you can open the Google Cloud shell and then test the tutorials right in um, in your browser, which is pretty cool. But um, there was another question about GitOps. And GitOps is a, a feature of Jenkins X, not just for managing the pipeline jobs, but also managing your application state as well. Um, so Jenkins X is meant to be a complete developer experience from starting your project or importing your project, managing your cluster, managing Jenkins X itself, and then your application running in your cluster. So. It does a lot. Um, it's a really powerful tool. And ah, yeah, there you go. Nice. So check out JenkinsX.io. Um, all the documentation is there. There are lots and lots of repos in the JenkinsX GitHub organization. Um, that's because we do GitOps. So there are just lots of repos for every environment. Every little thing is kind of its own Git repo. Um, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. It is. Wow. It's Marcus approved. <laughs> it is the sure. yeah. website. Yeah. Oh, you know what, Brett? I can talk about the, the CD Foundation, which is new. Please subscribe to our newsletter. So um, the CD Foundation was just announced um, a couple yes. of weeks ago. And if you are someone who uses Jenkins often, you probably, or, or you contribute to the project, Jenkins has never really had a great solution to governance. Um, there's Kasuke Kawaguchi, the, the founder of Jenkins, is the CTO um, at CloudBees. So I work, I work with him. I'm very lucky. But we haven't really had a, a home for Jenkins or Jenkins X. And there's a bunch of other software that's related to, to delivery and software delivery. So this CD foundation is a sibling to the CNCF. It's not about a particular style of development. Um, or a particular technology, it's about delivery. So it's kind of has a broader scope than than the CNCF in some ways. But this is, yeah, a neutral home for the next generation of continuous delivery collaboration. So 
Jenkins X is there, Spinnaker, Tecton, lots of cool stuff. Yeah. The Tecton logo is really cute, I think. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Robot Kitty. It is Robot Kitty. I love the domain name too. I feel like we finally have grown up as the internet when I see domain names like that. I'm like, this is, this is, this is not the, the, the internet of 20 years ago where everything, you know, or just, you know, two years ago when everything was dot com. Yeah. Um, how many, uh, how many domains do you own, Brett? <laughs> um, I will not share my addiction, uh, but no. dozens. Um, how many of them, and more importantly, how, what the percentage of them am I actually using? I'm not a domain squatter. It's all good ideas that I plan to implement one day. How many do you have? I'm not at liberty to disclose (laughs) that that number. (laughs) So uh, one that I share a lot, and I'm so glad I actually did it, was dog versus cat. Dog versus dot cat. Uh, We tried to get dog versus cat.com, but I think that was taken. And then I bought a couple of domain names and realized that I, I, it was the first time that I had misspelled domain name when I bought it. Okay, because <laughs> it was dogs versus cat, so it was sing- uh, plural and singular, and I didn't realize what I was doing when I bought it. So it was late. You know, you always buy domain names late at night, and uh, after a little whiskey. <laughs> yeah, after a little bit of whiskey, um, which I don't own that domain. I should have. To, I should get that for my dog. Um, but this one is uh, redirects basically to a GitHub U- uh, URL that I mention so often because it's now become the home of all of my swarm samples. So anyone has a how do I do this in Swarm question? I try to shove all that stuff in here as open source. And um, there, there's an increasing number of things in here. But I've, lately, I've, I was so tired of describing the URL. I was like, why don't I just make the domain name itself redirect to the GitHub? That's very lazy, but I do it. So um, yeah, I recommend it. I recommend buying all the domain names that you ever wanted. <laughs> All right, so I think that's all the questions I have in my chat. I don't see um, anyone else in there really talking about anything. Sorry if I missed your questions. Of course, any questions you ask, I'll hang out in chat for another 20 minutes or so. So if you have questions, please put them in chat and I will get to them. If you're watching the show after the fact, then obviously we're not live. So you'll have to take us to Twitter and find us there. Um, Do you want to mention something about uh, 1903, Brett? Like new features and stuff? 1903, uh, yeah. what do you know? Tell us. There's a context for Docker, you know, Docker context command. Have you heard about that? No. Oh, yes, uh, I have, but um, please describe it. So basically now it allows you to like configure your CLI to talk to different endpoints or contexts. So you can say, for example, um, the context of my development cluster or my production cluster or some other stuff. And then you can like say Docker context, whatever. And then the, the CLI will automatically use that context instead of you setting up like, you know, environmental variables. Right. And um, there's rootless containers also, like some basic support out of the box. So basically you can start a Docker daemon without being root. That is some, something pretty cool. So, by the way, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. Uh, Ah, I was going to let people know that the way that we know about this isn't just because we have like some sort of insider access as captains. Uh, I mean, we do talk with engineers probably more than the average person, but it's because you can actually follow along on the releases of a lot of the software on GitHub. And so there's a repo called Docker-CE that is all of the 
sort of there's Moby, which is the open source one of the pieces of the open source that gets put into the eventual Docker releases, and then there's Docker CE, which is the open source engine, and it includes the command line and the engine itself. And they have recently, a week ago, just released the first beta of this upcoming by semi-annual, rather semi-annual release of Docker. And um, Marcos is lifting, listing off some other really big features. Sorry. So please continue. No, it's just, uh, I think the major stuff, which is pretty in interesting, is, uh, you know, rootless containers. The fact that you can actually spin up the Docker daemon without being root, which is pretty nice. Um, the, the one that I said about context. And there's uh, another, another nice feature, which is the fact that you're going to be able to write plugins for the Docker CLI. So if there's something from the CLI perspective that you would like to have like integrated automatically in your specific CLI because you have some custom logic or pipelines or whatever, then you're going to be able to write some, some code for that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think just, just in the talks that we were having the other day in the Captain's channel about some of the potential for what those, can, those plugins could be, I think it's going to be pretty exciting mm -hmm. to see what people come up with. All right, so we yeah. have... Um, context changing, which I think is a bigger, will be a bigger deal moving forward than we realize. Just being able to use, as the command line keeps getting more advanced and adding more stuff, the ability to change all the different endpoints that you need, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Not running as root. Um, some of us, like me, uh, I, I don't, I'm fine with running root <laughs> as, the, as the engine. It's basically is the, it's to me, it is the kernel. It is the, um, what's running everything on my host. So I'm, or the system D, I guess, is if, if you're, um, Kelsey Hightower, you would say it's uh, System D of the of containers, um, and or he says Kubernetes is System D. So, but I guess maybe that makes Docker Engine the kernel. I don't know. Um, so, but a lot of people I know constantly are asking about I'm not allowed to run as root, or I'm in a situation like I get students that are in labs and they get shared hosting and they can't they the way that they get their Linux host to play with them and free in the labs is they get sort of a, a simulated root or even just a regular user and they don't truly mm -hmm. have root. They can't truly install Docker engine daemon. And uh, for them, this might be a really cool option uh, as well because they just don't, they don't have the ability. They don't have their own powerful machines. They don't have the ability to just go buy servers on the internet and rent them to install Docker. Um, so yep. sorry, did, uh, was there anything else? Uh, some changes and stuff, but I believe from the overall, like uh big features those are uh, uh yeah those are the, the most important ones i think yeah so uh for me with swarm i'm always scrolling down to the swarm and uh the sys control options and services so if you've been following along on github you know that docker run can do lots and lots and lots of things especially when it comes to adding permissions and doing things in elevated permissions modes and controlling different things around the kernel and uh and the hardware along on the on the system itself including things like GPUs and syscontrol and all this other stuff. And you couldn't necessarily do all of that in Swarm services because the functionality just wasn't there for Swarm. It didn't have the same uh, full set of options. So now, finally, we're getting syscontrol options. So I know for people that use Elasticsearch, this is a big deal because Elasticsearch likes to set syscontrol options when you run a container of it. And now we, can, we are going to be able to start doing that with Swarm. That's a pretty cool thing. Um, Maximum replicas per node is a pretty exciting for a very small amount of people, but people that have had a scenario where if they have a database cluster, they want to prevent both nodes of that database cluster, both containers, from running on the same physical node. And they maybe want to run something that scales with the number of nodes. So they want to run in global mode. But 
they want to, pre- uh, which is fine, but if they can't run global mode, they want to prevent those replicas from running on the same node. So, for example, they want to run two of something on every node, but no more than two, <laughs> something like that. And there hasn't been a way for us to do that. So this is another option that gives us more control into Swarm. Um, so that's a pretty cool one. Yeah, pretty nice stuff. So I'm sure that Docker is going to be announcing all kinds of stuff around that at DockerCon, especially on the open source day. The second day of DockerCon tends to be more open source announcements and less um, less big product announcements. And hopefully we'll talk more about this also on the third day, the open source summit day as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to wrap this up because we've been here for a little bit over an hour. So I thank you so much for joining us. Marcos, where can people find you on the internet? So you can find me at Marcos Niels in Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, I don't know, whatever social network it's out there. So, or write me an email uh, at Marcos Niels, that, that would be M-A-R-C-O-S-N-I-L-S at gmail.com. Nice. Giving out your email on the air, professional. Yeah. He, he, you can tell You're a true open sourcer, right? Like, just reach out to me. I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> and Laura, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter. I am at Ryan Wine with an underscore in the middle. It's probably easier to go to Brett's Twitter and uh, get my handle from him because German's a difficult language. So <laughs> it's R-H-E-I-N underscore W-E-I-N, the German spelling, not the English spelling. If And, and uh, sometimes you might still be Laura Frank. Or Laura Frank Taco, so people see Some places that. I'm Laura Frank Taco. Some places I'm just Laura Taco. I think some places that I don't know, I'm still Laura Frank. I might, <laughs> I might be that. But if you're on Twitter then, and you find beer on the on the on the top part on the header, then you know you're on the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm doing kind of a, a rolling update of my name change. It's been <laughs> it's been almost a year, but uh, yeah. it takes a while. Yeah, it'll never go away. You'll be yeah, you'll find something fine. in ten years that's still uh, still outdated. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining. Of course, you're always welcome back on the show. Uh, and I will be seeing you in 18 days at DockerCon, yeah. which is super exciting. Unbelievable. Yeah. And nice. Yes, I know. It's, I feel like we were just at DockerCon last month. Like it's, uh, it's happened very quickly. So we'll all be together in San Francisco. We'll probably be on YouTube Lives at uh, the event, depending on how well the Wi-Fi works and everything. So you can expect to see events from us there. We will be back here next week this same Thursday, same time for the next two Thursdays, talking about with other Docker captains, friends of ours, basically, that are going to be at DockerCon and what they're talking about, what they're doing at DockerCon. And we will see you next week on YouTube Live. Ciao. Take care. Amazing. See ya. Bye. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.